very sluggish right now. Okay, we should be live on my page. All right. Excellent. Well, good evening, everybody. We're here with you again with the Dank Kingdom podcast. And tonight we're going to be continuing our conversation from a couple weeks ago um, about making sense of things, conspiracy theories, and so on. And, and talking partly about the appeal, like what is it that makes people believe things that on their face are absolutely preposterous? I mean, I know that the low-hanging fruit is something like flat earth, you know, which, um, which flies in the face of, um, of the of science of the last, what, 1,500 years? Uh, but, but, you know, people that, people that believe this, and it has more to do with um <clears throat> with the the their presuppositions or the way they view the world than it does with the actual facts that are in front of them so we're going to be talking about some of that of, of what drives some of these things and um kind of how we can think better how we can think more clearly um to to understand what's really happening in the world in a way that's that's healthy in a way that um uh, i guess helps us to show jesus more to people. So that's kind of the direction that we're going tonight. <clears throat> so why do people believe dumb stuff? Well, we can, we can clear the, 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 the simplest explanation out of the way right away. It's not because they're dumb. Um, because lots of really smart people believe things that are disconnected from reality. Mm-hmm yeah that's right it's it's in fact there's a there's a fair bit of intelligence in in how convoluted some of these theories get they're actually quite complicated yeah Uh, i don't know i i just feel like there's something about there's something about wheels of logic um that you can't get off of I, i i know we've mentioned it before but this this train that that people get on where there it happens in a lot of different ways but when when all your facts are proving your conclusion let me let me say this why do we keep harping on this it's come up on the dkp a lot we talk about it a lot here and it could look easy like i think we were just trying to kick flat earthers and conserva bros around which don't get me wrong that's a great sport but that's not the point here. The point is, the point for me in discussing these particular topics is that I'm suspicious of my own rationale and intellect. I want to know that the things that I think and believe have been vetted by some process aside from just it makes good sense to me. Right. And so learning yeah. mental hygiene, learning how to think through your own thoughts and be self-analytical and to to evaluate yourself with some attempt at at, at, at objectivity, some mm-hmm. attempt at external input is a really critical skill and, and one that I think sadly many Christians are are, are often default on. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you think do you think uh that christians are notable in some way for that above other people are religious people more that way than other people i would Um, i would assume that religious people are especially people who have religious experiences because uh 
I don't know who said it, but a, a man with an experience is never at the mercy with a, of a man with an argument. Like if you have experiential mm-hmm. knowledge or some kind of subjective, um, mm-hmm. some kind of subjective experience that equates to personal proof, then your ideas have to conform with that, or you live in some kind of cognitive dissonance. And people don't like to live in cognitive dissonance. We'll flip the world upside down rather than deal with, hey, you know those old, do you guys ever see those old moody science films? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't think so. I've heard of them, but I don't think I ever saw one. They're fantastic. You should look them up on YouTube. They're the coolest science experiments. They're in black and white uh, film, most of them, I think. And they did really cool science stuff uh, back in the 50s and 60s. One of them they did, this guy uh, strapped on a set of optics onto his face that inverted the image. So everything was upside down. Oh, I know that experiment. For like two days. And after about 12 hours, your brain flips the image. Yeah. And so everything's Mm -hmm. right side up again and he's operating normally, but he's got these optics on his face. And then when he takes them off, now the world that's right side up is upside down and Mm -hmm. he's got to go through another 12 hour orientation process where his Mm -hmm. brain has to flip the image back around. And that's the, I mean, if, if we do that with optic nerve input, like the, the amount that the amount of lengths that we can go to, to reduce cognitive dissonance, to make sense of our world, Mm -hmm. just tremendous. And so the ability we have to ignore facts and to peruse the, and especially when you're convinced of the end. And I think that's why religious people are probably more prone to this is because it's not about the details. It's more about the consequence. And so mm-hmm. I think there's a prima facie idea with religion that it's the end that matters. And so between here and the end, whether that's heaven or nirvana, everything else has to fit in because it's the end of the equation that I'm after. So I think that makes us disposed to, to being less than faithful to, to incorporating uh, information and data that doesn't square well with our preconceived ideas. My dad's fond of telling a story um, back, I think it was the middle ages when, of course, you know, the philosophers of the, of the ancient Greeks and so forth, the ancient Romans, did a lot of thinking about how the world should be, but not a lot of actual experimentation. They had their, you know, these things that made sense because of their worldviews and so forth, and as they philosophized it out. And according to the story that Dad told, and I don't have a source on this, if somebody um, wants to question it, you know, I'll just say uh, the story is told. Um, so I'm covered there. But supposedly the, this group of, of um, scientists or doctors or whoever um, got together and dissected this dog <clears throat> um, and discovered that the dog's innards and its uh, its internal systems and organs were nothing like uh, the Roman doctor Galen had said they ought to be. Well, this was really disconcerting to them because Galen's like this big name, you know, you can't argue with him. So after wrestling with it for a while, they came to the conclusion must have been something wrong with the dog. <clears throat> And that, that is such a, a, a common approach that people have is, and, and unfortunately it can even be to the point, like you said about your experience, Matthew, that a man with an experience is, is um, <clears throat> you know, is, is never helpless to, to a person that has an argument. 
But when you have your worldview that something is this way, like even your, your experiences, you interpret through that lens. I've actually heard of people that were asked, you know, flat earthers who were asked, well, what if somebody would take you in a rocket and fly you up to the moon and you could be there? And one of them was like, well, with everything NASA can do with the way they can fake everything, I would just assume that, that they had some type of virtual reality that they faked this or, you know. This is right. for some people, this is a demonic delusion, you know, so, so some demon did this to me. Well, you can't, you can't even argue like at that point, you've placed yourself completely beyond any type of um, ability to, to even process or reason your way through something. And obviously that's an extreme case, but um, there's your, your fundamental presuppositions and your, your causes. Blaise Pascal said, you know, the heart has reasons that the mind knows nothing of. And a lot of times when you start drilling down to that, like what's actually driving this, it helps understand why people can be so irrational. Um, one, of the, one of the things is I've done some, watched some videos and listened a little bit, why, why are these theories so attractive? And one is because they, they provide a way of making sense of the world. Right. Because otherwise, and that's what happens anytime you have some horrific thing happen, you have some crime or you realize somebody, you know, somebody goes into a shopping mall and shoots 75 people or somebody, you know, commits some kind of gruesome murder. The first question everybody asks is why? What, what, why did he do that? What's his motive? There has to be some reason why. And it's terrifying to us to think like the, the most horrifying stories to me, if I read um, some crime story is the ones that are truly random where somebody just did something just because they did it. And there's no other reason. There was no, there's no reason they picked that person. There's no reason why they were just driving down a street and they pulled a gun out, pull a shot out the window at just some random person because it reminds you that you live in a world where anything horrible can happen for, and there's nothing, there's no way you can protect yourself from that. And when we see like COVID-19 and, and, and you have, you know, you have terrorism, you have the, the fears of, you know, you see you have rioting, all these different things that people feel like there's no, like the world has just gone crazy and there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no, um, anything could happen. And it's more comforting paradoxically to think, well, there's actually some super powerful, um, force behind the scenes that's working all this stuff out. And then you're able to align yourself against that force and, and be heroic in the process because now you're, you're aligned against this and you're actually making the world a safer place. And that illusion, especially when sticking it to that evil force, um, requires nothing more than hitting share on Facebook. I mean, it's, it's a win for, for your mental health in, um, mm -hmm. in, in, in at least one, one sense or in one level. I'm curious if it's if it's if what we're experiencing is a modern and postmodern phenomenon based on a few speculations. Uh, 20th century media and expectations about story resolution, you know, especially now that we have very visceral media, you know, the idea of watching a movie or watching a television show in my generation, summing up a story in 30 minutes and making sense of the world in these neat little packages. I wonder what that does when you grow up on that. And then and then and then hyper individualism and a lack of 
uh, a lack of a sense of meaning in life, like all those things. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know that all those things would apply to the circles that we run in, but as a modern phenomena, I wonder if it is yeah. a modern phenomena that that the conspiracy crowd and and the 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 propensity to see myself as uh, some kind of like shining knight fighting the powers of darkness from my basement and my keyboard and my you know my speculations about the logo of commodities and Wayfair catalogs and whatever else comes up like it's my it's my own personal Batman identity like I'm this yeah. knight figuring things out and. I wonder if all those pop culture phenomenon help feed this. Yeah. And even the prevalence of movies where some nobody stumbles on some horrific conspiracy and everybody thinks they're crazy. I mean, you can't turn around without running into that in a novel or a, or a TV or, or, or movie or whatever. That's, that's an incredibly common trope. Right. And for people then to identify themselves with that hero, that they're the ones who are doing this. Um, one, one thing, and I don't know, maybe I'm doing the meme thing where I'm exiting the interstate here. <laughs> uh, but this is, this is a dog I really feel like needs kick while we're talking about this subject. Um, and that is the realization that there is a huge number of these conspiracy theories that are rife with anti-semitic tropes and you've got to understand that the yeah. some of these conspiracy theories are ancient conspiracy theories that are just getting retreaded and and re uh, reformed but it's the same thing they're and they're they're they have anti-semitic roots right um just go and, and let me just let me just give you an example of of what i'm talking about is um, if you just go and read the Wikipedia article, Blood Libel, um, L-I-B-E-L, -E Blood Libel, the, the whole concept of Blood Libel is an ancient, ancient idea. It goes back into the Middle Ages, and a lot of Jews got killed over this thing. Um, a Gentile child would disappear, you know, Catholic child or whatever child in city, and um, they would say, well, some Jews stole them, and there, there were these stories that went around that these Jews would take little children um, kidnap them from the from the Gentile community and you know drain their blood and use it in their Passover meals, their matzos and in all these kind of things, or use them for various rituals um, in their Jewish faith. And this was often what would spark pogroms, where they would go into a Jewish uh, community and burn the place down and kill a lot of them and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But this idea of these evil masterminds who are preying on your children and draining their blood and torturing all these things these these stories go back centuries this right. isn't a new thing now if you're a conspiracy theorist, well you say well that just shows how how old these conspiracies are this has been going on for all these years uh, epstein wasn't the first one to do this you could play that game if you'd like or you can look and say this is something people realize has resonated with people for a long time, and they're using this same thing to dupe people again and again into pointing at their common enemy. Mm -hmm. And that, and and the the anti-Semitism that pops up from time to time within the conserv uh, the the conservative bro, not so much conservative bros, conspiracy bro community, 
uh, is really ironic to me, especially because they're always warning us that they're saving us from the Nazi. Right. And really, a lot of these type of things, I mean, that was that was the whole secret cobbles, uh, Jewish people killing children and drinking their blood and all this kind of stuff was a major part of Nazi propaganda. Go look yeah. it up yes. in the source of your choice. But go, go look it up. That was a legit thing that the Nazis did. And we're watching people. this whole thing get set up again. And it's frankly terrifying to me how many people are actually buying this stuff. Because if you actually believe this, you are willing to do almost anything to stop that from happening. <clears throat> go ahead, Matthew. Yeah, I'm just showing this. This is the... This is the modern take on that blood libel. Is this adrenochrome stuff like right. children being kidnapped for to feed the wealthy, who are also probably, if you get down this rabbit hole, all Jews controlling the media. Yes. This is exactly this kind of stuff, just in modern clothes. Right. And and yeah. you have to be you have to be absolutely aware this the anti you drill down to the bottom of this and there's there is absolutely anti-Semitism. At the core of this, and and anti-Semitism is easy because you know Jews are a people group that have that you know that are well represented among influential in influential positions. Like that's kind of a fact of the world. Um, yeah. And so they make an easy target for if you're going to you know promote a conspiracy like that. But it goes beyond that. Is is that if you train people to un to uncritically believe libels like that, that's a canon you can turn on anyone with very little right. extra effort. Um, well, they did it with the Bolsheviks in Germany to round people up. They did it in Indonesia. I was just learning. Uh, I want to. I want to give a shout out. I like to give uh, recommendations to people who are interested in the things we talk about. I've been listening to Oliver Stone's series on American history. It's really, really good. I, I, I take a pretty critical view of American empire. And there's lots of stuff in his really thorough miniseries on American 20th century, mostly American history. That's really phenomenal. Like I was unaware. I knew I knew about Siddhartha and the Indonesian uh, dictatorships that, that the U.S. was propping up. But I didn't realize how extensive the purges were in Indonesia or in Greece, for that matter, under Papadopoulos. But in Indonesia, in particular, the U.S. and Australians uh, intelligence agencies were were sending the Indonesian dictator um, reports of suspected communists, and they slaughtered anywhere between 500,000 and a million Indonesians in the purges. Um, that kind of stuff has been played out in the Cold War. Like, this it really is an old hat. Like, you, you know, just sure. pick the enemy, and, and then you can call whoever you want to dispose of that enemy, or just hype up the people with the fervor of the fear of that enemy. Mm -hmm. and, right. And, it really, it really goes hog wild. And sometimes you tip over a scale with that kind of fervor that you can't pull back from. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't put it back in. I mean, that, that's been, it's been an ongoing problem I've been reading about for a while in, um, in, in Asia. I think in particular, it's been an issue in India that, that, you know, rumors will be spread on WhatsApp, which isn't, you know, right. it isn't, it isn't, uh, it can't be censored very well and 
and these rumors are spread that so and so, you know, did so and so, so so and so is linked with the enemy, so and so kidnapped children, um, and and a mob will just show up and start beating or killing people right. um, on the basis of those rumors. And people mm-hmm. need to understand that when you promote things for which there is no evidence, just because it just taps viscerally into something you want to believe, you have blood on your hands if that results in violence. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think it's been so long since most of us in this country have actually seen that kind of out out of control violence running amok that it's hard for people to understand how high the stakes are. Yeah. Um, for, Why do you think that in American, the most recent example that we have in our contemporary history would be the McCarthy era blacklisting? Why, why didn't that turn into purges in America, do you think? It seems like it just wasn't able to get far enough advanced. There was just enough, didn't hit the tipping there, point. There, there was enough counterweight to it, in enough forces that in that uh, the reaction to it seems to have been <clears throat> strong enough, early enough that it. Didn't <clears throat> that is actually, <clears throat> excuse me, that is actually the thing that people talk about how divided America is. And that is actually one thing that gives me hope that it's possible to avoid reaching that tipping point is just simply that it's really close to 50% of the population right. thinks the other 50% are nuts. Um, and when you have that, you don't, you know, you don't have any strong majority that says, Hey, let's go and kill the other ones. And in fact, you see, we saw this happen with the black lives matter riots Um is that as soon as it started getting violent, um, there were some people who still said, well, hey, you know, rioting and violence under these circumstances is permissible. But the bulk of people are like, if, you, if, this, if you're going to go violent, we're not interested in supporting this. Right. We're not, you know, that, that, that that's, actually, that's actually where pushback starts happening when it goes into violence. Right. Uh, and it, so it really feels like overall, and maybe that Overton window shifting toward violence in a way that's that's concerning. I, th- I think that's happening. But overall, it feels like there's still that there's still that balance that's happening um, <clears throat> that I, I have hope. Um, the U.S. Is, is a unique nation as well. I mean, the, the, the amount of area that it has. It's not like the French Revolution or or Germany, you know, where this is happening in a in a pretty contained area. You could even have a massive flare up of violence in one area. But the but the idea of it of it crossing over all 3000 miles of the United States just seems um, seems really difficult to imagine it that actually being possible to happen because of the um, the overall ballast that's there. Well. Um, I, I think it's it's really easy to forget that the United States is a really artificial construct. Um, so you start talking about the United States, or we're trained to think of the United States as if it's a single unit, and it mm-hmm. really isn't. It's it's a it's a fairly frat always has been a fairly fragile confederation of of uh, you know of different states, all of which cling fiercely to their degree of autonomy that they manage to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And and different regions of the United States have very different types of populations, people with different ethnic backgrounds, people with different visions for what they want the lives of their children to look like. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wouldn't be confident that the fact that the nation is 50-50 
would prevent an outbreak of violence because most parts of the nation are very far from 50 50. Mm -hmm. um, like where I live, you know, there's Oklahoma is a really red state. So is Arkansas. Um, yeah. If I was if talking, I was talking to the concept of a national purge, like the French Revolution reign of from, terror. Right. Where someone would seize the nation's government. But I mean, if you take a state the size of France and and have something like that happen into in it, the disaster is the same is on yeah. the same scale. Um, right. And so and so I think we we need to not be too confident because of the national demographics, but also uh, on j just on where the Overton window is, I think on a on a positive note, I my impression is that I've seen it shift even in my lifetime where there is just in general less taste for violence, more pushback against violence, more of a sense among the whole population, or at least a larger percentage of the population who just don't want, don't think there's a good reason to do violence. Like violence mm -hmm. is, there was a time when it was relatively popular, say in academic circles, to promote the idea that war was inherently good for the species. And like ideas like that are completely, um, you know, those are completely marginalized today. And, and so I think there is, we, I would say that overall in the, in the Western world, my impression from my reading of history and my observations today is that the Overton window has shifted away from violence um, overall. Mm -hmm. And of course it goes back and forth on the, on the short term scale, but, mm -hmm. and, and we're probably definitely moving back toward violence at the moment, but in general, it's harder in, especially in the Western world, for a situation to reach that flashpoint because there's just so much more ingrained conscience against just going out and killing people because you're angry at them. Yeah. Well, you were dealing uh, with the French Revolution. You were you were actually dealing with the, the state was meeting out public executions left and right for fairly minor offenses. And so when when the 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 glue of society came apart mm -hmm. um those people were just doing what they were used to seeing exactly. happen. And, i mean it was it was that was just a natural thing except yeah. you just had different people behind the guns behind the knives and and so forth right there's just just less there's less tolerance of that kind of that kind of raw um like self-interested partisan violence than there used mm -hmm. to be I'm, I'm quite confident and that's and that's because of the influence of Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the the leavening of the gospel. Um, I, I I would be interested in in seeing like is the, is there? It seems like there's been an acceleration because if you think from the if you think from the 1500s to the 1800s of of what it would have been as far as tolerance for violence and stuff, it doesn't seem like there was that much change in the level of barbarity in people. Um, um, but then, from, yeah, go ahead. Statistically, there, you know, I don't know how these statistics are gathered, but the estimates I've seen for, say, murder rates, um, like various forms of violence, almost any way you measure violence, um, like since the 1700s, there has been a steady and radical decrease. Um, people just are killing each other less and less and less and less 
with every passing century. So I, I would I would push back on that um, as far as there being um, there are obvious uh, obvious anomalies in that trend, you know, like the world wars. Mm -hmm. um, but but if you look at percentages like per capita violence okay. in the world, um, it is it's been dropping for a long time and fairly steadily. Stephen okay, Pinker, so Better like Angels of Our Nature, is uh, the the good research point, at least at a popular level, for that kind of stuff. So it's not like it's been a, a, a dramatic a dramatic swing in in the um, in the last hundred years or whatever. No, in fact, it's probably the opposite. Uh, although what what I think about America in particular, that's speaking worldwide. So obviously, there's been horrible atrocities mm -hmm. all yeah. throughout the years, and there still are. But that seems to be, uh, in proportion to world population, seems to be less and less common. The, the, right. the likelihood of being murdered in your lifetime is right. dropping significantly mm -hmm. as time moves forward. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Resource allocation and access is probably a huge part of it. But uh, uh, anyhow, there's whole books written on that. What, what, what I'm interested in, in, in American history, especially current, contemporary American history, is that there seems to be these these popular epochs where we reach a crescendo it seems like the 20s and 30s are you know the prohibition era and violence is is really heat it really reaches a peak and then then you have the war years and everybody's kind of like tired of that like we're tired of violence like mm -hmm. enough enough and then that 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 <clears throat> ebb kind of lasts till about the 60s now there's all of our wars in korea and everything else going on during that time but as far as domestically the 60s then go off the rails like uh -huh. you had i think uh, i think that stone documentary said that there were 75 race riots in one year it was the year that kennedy kennedy ran against nixon i think 75 race riots mm -hmm. and like uh, in in that uh in i think detroit 40 some african americans were shot in the detroit race riots and like mm -hmm. 20 something in la like they were yeah. killing dozens of yeah. people and then the kent state six got killed the president gets shot like all this the stuff in the 60s seems like a real pinnacle of violence in popular culture yeah and then now it's on the wane again, and one wonders, is that is there a cyclical nature to popular violence, to how readily acceptable violence is within the culture, and does it reach these pinnacles and ebbs and flows? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but it's if you take a quick survey, it looks like there's some peak points where, I guess, the going all the way back, you know, even before Prohibition, there's wholesale slaughter in in labor activism you know they're machine gunning yeah. mine workers and things so and that's publicly known i mean news has to travel slower back then but it's not like it was in a backwater and nobody knew about it it just yeah. it just was yeah and it didn't cause the it didn't cause the overthrow of the existing government no. or anything it was right so yeah and 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 what you see, there does seem to be a cyclical nature, and I'm sure it has something to do with just the fact, the way human memory works. Right. Like once we don't remember how bad violence was, right. because of the tendency of parties and governments to glorify violence. If you haven't ever seen the, if you haven't seen much of the real thing, it sounds like fun. 
then right. you get into a period where you start experiencing it and everybody get, mm-hmm. goes like, this is horrible. We don't want to see this anymore. And they have, yeah. they're highly motivated to come up with other alternatives for a while until that memory fades. <clears throat> um, but what you see also the trend is that each time it drops off, it drops lower than the time before. And right. each peak is, you know, mo- most of the time the peaks are not as high as the previous peaks were. Mm-hmm. And so each spike in violence feels really bad compared to what came before. And due to the growth of the population, we may actually have more net suffering um, from violence going on, more people <clears throat> experiencing violence than, you know, earlier in the 20th century or whatever. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, how do you weigh the significance of that? But it does mean, like you said, that for any person being born on this planet, the chance of being murdered, you know, Mm. or experiencing some other kind of incredible deprivation is lower than at any point in history. So this is a um, kind of a segue into something that I think ties in really closely with this. Um, Because because this conversation we're having certainly sounds like the world's getting better and better. And um, personally, I believe that's objectively true. Uh, But you have the apocalyptic crowd, which a lot of conspiracy theories are basically the modern equivalents of apocalyptic cults. Right. um, That... That that goes against everything. Like, you know, the whole trajectory is that it's getting worse. It's got to get worse and worse. It's got to get more horrible. Eventually, you know, they're going to put microchips on all of us and um, and the mar- we're at the worship the beast or the chopper heads off and, and all this kind of thing, which is the stereotypical American dispensationalism idea, which I don't think any of us three would espouse in any way, shape, or form. So what what is the response then? Um, to the passages in scripture, for instance, where it talks about evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse and those type of things that there seems like there's an indication of a, of a, of a ramping up of evil. But then if you read history, I was just talking to my dad the other day and he, he quoted that verse and, and he said, you know, some of the things, some of the wickedness that a hundred years ago, you know, would not have been acceptable. I think in some of the promiscuity and things, he said, you know, some of the stuff that was acceptable a hundred years ago, you know, isn't dreamed of today. And I said, you mean like setting black people on fire? <laughs> um, that, that wasn't what he was thinking of. Um, <laughs> you know, he was thinking of, you know, like I said, some of the promiscuity. But then um, I said, but if you look at the Roman Empire and the things that went on there, mm-hmm. the like anything that's happening in the U.S. today um, is is like tame compared worse, to, yeah. you know, so so what is that verse talking about then? What, what do we make of that? What's a response to that, that of, of actually having a positive view of the future, that the kingdom of God is going forward, that the kingdoms of men even are being leavened by the gospel, and that, that violence is decreasing and, and all these kind of things? Um, I, 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 I lean post-millennial, so I don't have a problem with that, but I, I'm kind of curious where you, know, where you guys are at with that. Well, I'll give a, I'll, I'll give a response quickly just and, and then I'll, I'm sure Matthew has a bunch to say on it, but, but uh, I, I think for me, what, what I obs- when I match that up with what I observe in the world is that as the world actually, you know, as the, as 
the light of Christ, as there are more and more people representing the Messiah in the world, more and more people announcing the King, um, more and more examples of an alternative way of life being created, and there are um, in the world today, the more the light spreads, the, the more wicked you have to be in order to continue to resist it. And so, so when, so when you look at, for instance, mainstream Christianity today, I think if you look at rank and file followers of the comfortable, you know, politically connected, selfish religion that calls itself Christianity, it appears to me that they are more virulently anti-God than they have ever been before. Mm -hmm. um, because they are having to dig in their heels to maintain their position. The, there's a much broader, I think there's a much broader awareness in, say, at least in, in American Christianity today, of what Jesus actually taught and how that doesn't line up with much of what's happening in the church. And mm -hmm. many voices calling for us to rediscover the teachings of Jesus and act on them. And when that happens, and 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 people who have not been doing that are faced with the truth, they have to either be persuaded or they have to dig in their heels and double down on everything that was wrong with their thought process in the first place. Things you that they were team. subconsciously <clears throat> believing, things they were subconsciously believing but had never really thought about. Now they think mm -hmm. of, they have to think about them. And if they don't reject them, they have to say, oh, you know what? You know, I never thought about how weird it is that I believe exactly the same thing about redemptive violence that ISIS does. But, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's what you have to yeah. do. Um, yeah, and that so, makes a lot of sense. So evil men have to get worse <clears throat> as the light gets brighter or they can't stay evil men anymore. So I, so I think that's at least on one level what, what we see happening. It's a little, and maybe a little bit like this, the parable of the wheat and the tares where um, he says, let them grow up together. Well, the closer you get to the harvest, the more obvious it is that the wheat is wheat and the more obvious it exactly. is that tares are tares. Yeah. Yeah, the distinction becomes clearer and starker. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Appreciate that. I, I like yeah, that idea. You, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I, so I think if I had to peg us, Dave, you're, you're a self-confessed post-millennialist, which is really a species of amillennialism. Anthony, you're a run-of-the-mill amillennialist. Is that what I'm... No. Well, why, why, why would you say that? Because I believe that Jesus is going to reign in Jerusalem. Hey, hey look, there's time. Hey, hey, hey. <clears throat> look at you, man. Yeah. He's in well, deep shade, but he's here. Welcome to the DKP. No, I believe in an actual kingdom, Matthew. I believe in an actual, the actual reign of Christ. I just, I just don't believe it comes in the same form that, uh, that the, the other ones do that it's necessary for the you know for the big end time showdown and all this kind of stuff well i just mean in a technical sense like the 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 rain and its physicality and juxtaposition to the judgment is is how we define those terms so premillennial is the rain before the judgment on earth and amillennial is that there's not a rain or it's a figurative rain and post-millennial would be a species of not a physical rain or, or a rain after the judgment. Okay. I, I, I guess um, maybe, I, maybe I misunderstood what post-millennialism, but basically I believe, I believe that, well, the Bible talks in the book of, 
uh, well, I think it's one of the Peters, about hastening the coming of Christ. Right. That, that it's possible that what we're doing actually makes him come sooner. Right. And, um, and I feel like, like as, as John the Baptist was a forerunner and he came to, you know, make straight in the highway pass for God, that as the gospel is spread and as the world becomes more and more the kingdom of Christ, I think at some point a tipping point comes where the world is prepared to receive Christ as king and then Christ descends um, and comes and reigns a world that reigns over a world that still um, that still has kings that can bring their glory into the city and still has all those things. Um, what I object to is this is the necessity of this, you know, this end times antichrist and all this. I view all those things as, um, in, in that sense, I'm a, I'm a partial preterist. I believe those, uh -oh. those. <clears throat> Until Rebecca. Uh, yeah. Well, what? Why is she anti-preterism? She no, just I believe said, those. She just posted. I'm so glad I woke up for preterism to be blasted to pieces. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> so no. Um, I believe that those. I believe those things were were fulfilled. I believe there's really good evidence that those things were fulfilled in the, the uh, the first century, as far as revelation and so forth is concerned. So, uh, so I'm, I'm squarely a historic premillennialist, uh, to what extent I, I engage in the issue, which isn't a ton. Uh, it's mostly a default setting. I, I abandoned premillennialism when I left the evangelical world. It didn't make sense anymore without all those other constructs. And so eschatologically homeless, I came across patristic writings that were the earliest of the patristic writings seem to be in favor of premillennialism. So that's, that's where I ended up and, and, and don't spend a lot of time engaging with the issue much past that. Although Regnum Kylorum is on my shelf, I haven't got to it yet. So, but all, where, where was I going with that? Trying to figure out where we're all at. Oh, yeah. these issues. Yeah. Evil in the world. I, I, for me, as a premillennialist, I do I, I can play apocalyptic. Like I do, I do see uh, some kind of run up in the last days, and mm -hmm. how that squares with the pacification of the of of human society. I I don't know exactly. I think that I think that you're right, Dave. That there are certain things that Jesus does seem to place squarely in the hands of the church to do to hasten his coming like declaring the gospel to all nations mm. like that's something that seems like it's designed to motivate us to do something for a result and so the fact that we're engaging with the eschaton to bring it about is a sensible conclusion from those things to me <clears throat> and i think as that as that time draws mm. near there'll be systems that rise up in opposition and and it'll create conflict in the end of days Mm -hmm. And I think those are real physical conflicts, a real persecution and oppression of the church. I, you know, but I, I have to confess my prejudice too, because I've always, since I was young, had a bent toward dystopian ideologies. Like I, I dystopian literature, dystopian film has always, <laughs> and I think probably because I was raised as a dispensationalist, this, you know, this end of, end of days, horror that's going to come on the earth especially for the people of god kind of stokes those imaginations and i don't know that that's all healthy 
Well, here's 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 an interesting thought about American dystopian imagination. That is right now in certain parts of the world, Yemen, for instance, um, you know, parts of Syria and Iraq still, um, people are living in a dystopia, right? Like they don't have to imagine dystopia, right? Um, dystopias really exist on Earth, right? And and the Earth as a whole, um, in many ways, is. I think when your eyes are open to see the world the way God sees it, we're already in a post-apocalyptic world in many ways. Like this world <clears throat> crashed into a terrible state of dystopia a long time ago. Humans who were supposed to like this, this world has everything we need to live abundant, fruitful, peaceful lives. We could be exploring the solar system and far beyond by now with the resources that are on earth, you know, going far, you know, hundreds of times farther than we have with science and literature and, and art. Um, if we were living peaceably together all this time, the way God intended us to, um, you know, our fruit trees would be, you know, bearing five times as much as they do. And all, all of these things, like compared to how we were designed to live on this planet, right. what we are doing with ourselves here is absolutely horrendous frightful it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a monstrous situation and so and so the the whole history of humanity is trying is is trying trying to crawl out of that dystopia people regrouping people trying to reconnect with with god who made this thing to work and 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 him finding people who can help him restore this situation and so i think there's a lot of there's a lot less um, attraction for dystopian ideas um, as you know some sort of culmination. If you realize that that's the situation we're in already, um, and and for many people that's that like that's the idea the, the idea of imagining dystopia would be absurd because you know the exotic future they imagine is a future where they aren't living in a in a hideous waste where you know life is cheap and they can die anytime and so so you're and, saying dystopian and, fascination is a luxury of people that aren't living in dystopias it is. it is it's a it's a luxury of people people who don't live in dystopias to it to, and and we actually because we're tied together here like we're all breathing polluted air and most of us are drinking polluted water and eating food with toxins in it like we all share in this to some degree it's just that some of us are you know in more sheltered spots mm -hmm. on the planet um, resource wise or whatever but the other thing i wanted to say is i um i i do believe that there's likely some sort of showdown before jesus returns to establish his kingdom um and and that once again i think you know back back to that idea that um you know I, I i'm open to some sort of armageddon um right scenario as well but again i see that as the same type of situation if you're tracking a grizzly bear through the bush for three hours and finally you corner it up in a you know up between some rocks it's going to come back at you. the time when you're when you're at highest risk of getting your head knocked off is is those last few minutes when you're just about to take it out um 
it's it's when I mean, Rene Girard has some great ideas about this too, but the, you know, Satan doesn't have to create, like, he doesn't want to tear down society. He can't play with it if he completely destroys it. Um, so, you know, there's nothing to exercise your power over if you just leave nothing but shambles. So it, it's, it's when, it's when the, uh, it's when the, when he's out of options, when the evil, evil powers realize their time is really short you know this idea is in the new testament um that they that they begin to be really really dangerous um as long as they have people mostly under their sway you don't see them manifesting themselves in the most um overt and frightening mm -hmm. ways so so then i don't if that's if that's your trajectory then I don't have any. I don't have any issue with that concept. I don't have any issue with the um, the because what you're describing is you're describing an upward trajectory where to Satan the noose is continually tightening mm -hmm. until it reaches the point where where it's that it's right at that tipping point and there's the last gasp, like you said, grizzly bear charge to to do as much damage as possible before the ultimate defeat um, where what's what's driving the 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 fear and the dystopian ideas is that we're on a downward trajectory mm -hmm. and and the kingdom of Christ is losing and losing and the noose is tightening for God's people mm -hmm. until finally God comes and um, DSX Deus Ex Machina you know um, ends everything but not because he was able actually to win hearts and minds, just because he he's the one that writes the rules, and so he's able to do it. Well, he's essentially and, doing like, you know, when a couple of kids are playing checkers, and one of them sees that he's losing, and he just wipes everything board. off the board. Right, I exactly. Mean, like, that's not a win. So, so uh, and that's not what <laughs> the prophecies lead us to believe is going right. to happen. That's not that's, what... That's, yeah what the kingdom of God, that's not what's promised to us in, in the scope of history. But um, yeah, I have to put my children to bed. I guess my wife is, is uh, not feeling well and the children are, oh, yeah. are uh, well, needing put to bed. So I'm going to have to cut this a little bit short. Um, I was going to say one more, one more thing about it, but, uh, but about that before I dropped off, but now I forget um, what it was. So I guess I'll say good night. Uh, all right. So what I'm curious about before you go is if Titus meant to listen to the podcast and ended up clicking the link to join the podcast. Um, it looks like there, Titus, Titus isn't sure what he's doing. Here. Yeah. <laughs> he's coming and going. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, Anthony. Do you want to stick around for a few minutes, Dave, before we sign off? Yeah, there was one thing that I wanted to, wanted to kind of address that Anthony talked about. Um, and if you've got to go, Anthony, maybe. I'll, uh... um, well, it's it's actually I, I have a few minutes um, okay. before before they need to be. Uh, Basically, prepared. I just wanted to touch really quickly on um, how this ties into understanding what the gospel really is, because you said about you know we already live in a dystopia, you know we could be somewhere with art and science and and music and, and all these all these things. But for so many people, none of that has to do with the kingdom of God. That, that the idea that the kingdom of God is about making the world a better place, about improving science, about improving all those, those are worldly pursuits. 
mm-hmm. being a Christian and, and, and doing kingdom work is the is essentially um, becoming a, a mind virus where you know I go and infect a couple people with the virus of, of faith and then they go infect some more people and and that's my job is to infect the whole world with Jesus mm-hmm. and um, and except, the, 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 except the world's getting infected with evil faster so I don't right really have a chance you know and there's that. that. And so that idea that the, that the kingdom of God is actually a really, and I know this is really a buzzwordy word to use, but I don't really know any other word to say than holistic. It's something that's, that's there, not just for the, the, the heart or the mind, but it's, it's about restoring culture and restoring society, restoring relationships to how Jesus would have us to live. And he created the world to be inhabited. It says that he didn't create the world to be empty. He created mm-hmm. to be inhabited. He created it um, to be full of music and full of life and full of all these different things. And I think that's, I think that that lack of understanding of the gospel leads then to all these other issues that we're talking about, because we don't understand the full nature of what it means to be part of God's kingdom. And we've, we've so many, religious organizations have have narrowed it down to this mental ascent to a a a list of ideas and then we go on and okay we've you know we've we've checked our boxes or um or in some cases you know we live aesthetically enough um that that god looks at us and says okay he's really bearing his cross real good so i guess uh, i guess he's good you know we're gonna Mm -hmm. and 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 there there's so much more to it than that well, I, I mean, maybe this is a good time to give a little shout out to Gnostic dualism. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what's behind this whole misunderstanding of what God is doing in the world um, and why, why people have the idea that the world cannot be redeemed, that it has to get worse and worse and finally be discarded um, mm-hmm. because, because um, the idea is that the material world is, is short-lived, it's doomed, um, material physical life for humans is is a temporary situation and what matters is the soul which is something immaterial and we're all going out of here when it's you know the future is us leaving earth and living forever in an immaterial um existence in heaven and Cosmic so uh, that error is why we shouldn't get tattoos Exactly. Exactly. Hey, I'm here, guys. There you go. Yeah. Yep, that brought him out. That brought yep, him out. We finally got some input from Titus. Um, I, I'm driving, so you might not be able to hear me very well. But... We can hear you. Okay, no, you cool. don't sound great, but yeah. But thank you. Um, you that, it must be the, tattoo poisoning. What's that? It must be tattoo poisoning. That's definitely yeah. <laughs> you have cashew poisoning. Tattoo poisoning. Tattoo poisoning must be getting to my vocal cords. Yeah, well, I hope not. Uh, but, but uh, the, yeah. So, so I mean, what the scripture teaches, what what you know, my understanding of what the what the the early Christians expected was that Jesus would, you know, the ultimate plan for us, at you know the res the resurrection was about us ultimately living. Um, together with Jesus in charge on a restored earth. Real and bodies. In, in bodies that are more physical and more real than the ones we have now. I, I love, I just, I, I was just listening to N.T. Wright, so I might, I might uh, 
have a few NT rightisms in the next few weeks. But, but uh, yeah, he says in in comparison to the body we have now, our, our new body in comparison to the one we have now is like will be like the body we have now in comparison to a ghost. Um, That's really that, neat. I like that. That That's very great divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and so so if we believe and and it's a very the resurrection means that that our what we're doing here actually counts something is going to happen in the future um that's that's uh that's that has continuity with what we're doing now so the beautiful things we create the people we bless the the programs we start to to enhance our surroundings and the people we love um those things all carry on. They have, they are going to echo into eternity. They're not, we don't leave them behind. So if we, if we trash this planet, um, I mean, the apostle Paul talks about people that will, that will, um, they'll be saved, um, through fire, all their work will burn and they'll be, they'll, they'll just barely come out, you know, with themselves intact. So, if we love God and we, and you know, and we are having some sort of relational experience with him, but we haven't grasped that what he's even about, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've essentially remained in a child state our whole lives, just tagging around with dad, but never figuring out what he was doing, never listening when he said what he was doing, mm-hmm. never trying to understand what his work was. Um, then whatever we spend our lives doing is going to be, you know, maybe meaningless, um, in the next life. So if we get on board with what God's actually, uh, actually cares about, which has everything to do with justice and peace and constructive, constructively blessing the world that we live in, um, then we get to have work that holds up in the fire um, mm. and passes through the fire and comes out the other side looking even better. Um, and we can keep on working on it. And that's, you know, that, that's a really hopeful thing. And I'll just give a shout out to a um, J.R.R. Tolkien work that um, a story that's really good on that specific subject. I don't agree with everything that he suggests in this story. So that's a disclaimer. Um, there's maybe some sort of form of purgatory hinted at. Um, um, but, but the idea that things are carried on um, into that we care that we carry on our, our work matters in the next life um mm-hmm. it's called leaf by niggle and uh and uh we can i can drop it in a comment That'd later um, but but look it up it's a it's a great story and um, so that's that's the big complaint in ecclesiastes is he says life is meaningless because a guy works all his life mm-hmm. and then he dies and somebody else gets it and it's pointless and he goes through, you know, all these different things that happen, you know, time and chance happens and it's pointless. You know, somebody does their best and whatever, and then they get hit by a bus and, 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 and they, you know, they're cut off in the middle and it's pointless. Mm-hmm. Life is pointless. Life is meaningless. And that's because it's a life that's, that doesn't have the resurrection at the end of it and the, mm-hmm. the, the new world and the new life to come. Right. And the great thing about this Tolkien story is that you get that complete sense of of ecclesiastes futility at the beginning of it and then it opens out and that's yeah so yeah definitely drop that i'd like to read that so i think to wrap this all up in a nice little package 
we can say that apocalyptic conspiratorial outlooks where where we're afraid of the world around mm -hmm. us are really a faithless position that yes. what it means to be a, a participant of the gospel is to be an overcomer is to not be afraid of the world but to be transforming and changing the world around me and mm -hmm. and not just like not just that i'm baptizing 20 people a year but that i i'm i'm being god's um active force in the in my world in my sphere of influence to bring about light and hope and peace and health and life and that makes me strong it makes me not afraid it makes me equipped to deal with the things that aren't that equipped to deal with the things that are emblems and representatives of death and destruction and sin and unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. And in that conflict, I'm no more afraid of those systems and powers and need no more fear them or run from them than the light switch needs run from the darkness. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. And, and, and it's also worth noting that, you know, the reason we people buy into like really dark, twisted stories of reality that that fill them with anxiety and dread. And, and we've seen so much of this in the last few months, this just sense that everything's going south. And, and right. you know, that this, this, the reason we buy a story like that um, is because we don't have a better story to believe in. And we have to be part of a story. We have to have a narrative that makes sense of our lives. And, and if we don't have an, if, if, if our narrative was, if our, if our faith narrative was a shallow one that was like, oh, God has chosen this country to bless and I'm living in the best country in the world and everything goes great for us because we're blessed by God. And then suddenly everything isn't going great for us. Then we need so Trump to fix it. Right. And then he doesn't fix it. And, you know, a virus comes along that we didn't know was going to happen. And he's completely unequipped to you know, rise to the occasion. And, and, and when that, when those sorts of things happen, we have to come up with another narrative on the fly. And if we don't have an overarching story, if we don't understand the story that the scripture is telling us about who we are, about where the world is going. Um, and, and, and our dominant, you know, our dominant narrative that we fit into is, is linked to these temporary changing you know empires and power structures then we're constantly off balance we're constantly feeling lost and distressed and stressed out and anxious um we need to we need to get back to the story that jesus is telling which is that he's winning he's come into the world to transform it he's creating a new kingdom and that kingdom is growing and and that kingdom is stronger than whatever dark powers are in the earth and the ultimate outcome of, of the situation that we're in now is that it's going to win. We are not going to leave behind a legacy of a world where God has lost because we didn't get enough people to vote for the right, you know, for the right political leaders or something like that. Um, we don't have to have that kind of existential dread about the world we live in. It's God's world and he's taking it back. And, and, um, and, and when we get a hold of that story, then all of a sudden we're above these, these, uh, 
these temporary changes, things like pandemics and and political shifts and and you know even revolutions and and wars, um, we we see all those things from a higher perspective, and they don't they don't shake our faith anymore. So I have a proposition. Uh, it's interesting to me that all three of us have somewhat modified different eschatology perspectives, but we we are approaching this all from the same perspective because because the the the, the central thesis is the gospel and the kingdom and mm -hmm. how that culminates in the eschaton is doesn't matter as much. But what what I would say is that uh, the conspiracy bros and conservative bros that we are typically used to calling apocalyptics are not actually apocalyptics because apocalypse implies both revelation and resolution. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, a more appropriate term would be a cataclysmicist, like cataclysmics, not apocalyptics, because they're just chicken littles. They're just woe is me. They're just worried about the problem at hand. They're not actually seeing the revelation or the resolution that mm -hmm. comes through the gospel. Mm -hmm. well there is the um you know eventually jesus is gonna come and and he's gonna pour out all these bowls of wrath on everybody and smite the tar out of them and um eventually ride in on his horse and slaughter them all and we're gonna sit there and laugh because they've had it coming for all this time and and finally finally it's happening and and yeah he's killing them like is what needs to happen so you know they do have that that thing to look forward to mm -hmm. or like the one comment that i saw recently where somebody said somebody had a post um uh, of of a woman in somebody's face and and the said something along the lines of what would jesus do in this situation and one of the comments was along the lines of well he'd smile because in a couple of years she's going to die and go to hell anyway um and and that that that's the attitude yeah which is demonic yeah and and it's completely like that's not what winning means to Jesus, right? And and the the other because thing, it's based on physical power is the resolution, right? Right, right. It's it's based on destruction of the other, um, yeah. rather than redemption. Um, so yeah, the the other thing that maybe I might mention is that I think when you understand that. God loves this world and he's going to redeem it. It sets you free from what I think was, was somewhat of a guilt, a kind of background guilt in my upbringing, which was, I love the world. Mm -hmm. um, like the earth at its best, it's a beautiful place. It's, it's stupendous. It's like, yeah, I, there's no way a human being can get tired of this planet. If we had the freedom to just, you know, people who do have the freedom to just explore and discover endlessly never get tired of it. Um, this world is, is an amazing place to live. And if you love it, um, you don't have to feel guilty about that. That's how you're supposed to be. You're not made for somewhere else. You're right. made for this place. And one day heaven and earth are going to, are going to uh, seamlessly come together and you're going to see the earth the way that it was supposed to be supposed to be seen and the way we were, were going to live in it the way we were supposed to live in it and um i don't know if we're going to still you know stumble across the ruins of you know detroit or <laughs> in 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 the parks here and there or not but but uh, 
I, well, I if think the great that... divorce were real, it happened in Detroit. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, well, the but, higher so, up and so, further in, right? Yeah, like the last but, like those best those best instincts that we that we have those things that we feel like when we stand and look at a mountain range or or you know gaze at the stars or whatever. That's because we're made for this place, and this place is made for us, and and God loves it as much as we do. So we don't need to feel bad about our instincts. Like we should not be suppressing our instincts to make this world better. That's mm-hmm. exactly how God wants us to think. Right. It's not a throwaway world. Right. And and we we probably in a in a future episode ought to clarify all the questions that are going to arise about yes like about whether we're just saying oh Christianity is just working to make the world better because it's not that. Um, well, yes, involved. but actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's a I don't know how many of you know, but um, Charlton Swayze's over in Kampala. He's a good good friend of mine. They have a they have a, a podcast that they've been doing. Um, it's uh, by our love, I think, is the name of it. And he did several episodes. Him and brother Jan Larue, who 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 was uh, uh, he was at I fifty eight for several years. Um, they did a whole series in their podcast on on e- uh, theology of ecology that was really good about those exact mm-hmm. issues, how we should look at the created world and the different views and a comparison and contrast. So if you get a chance, wow. check out uh, Charlton's By Our Love on theological ecology. Also, if you're interested in a further unpacking of some of the ideas we talked about here, that I, I think some of the core ideas that we all three agree on, um, uh, N.T. Wright's Surprised by Hope is a great discussion uh, of those things. Um, and it's you know, like, I don't endorse everything that he believes, but but the core of it is is solid, I believe. And mm-hmm. and, um, and and it will, if you, if, if these ideas sound new to you at all, it will definitely shift your paradigm. Right. Yeah. How God Became King is another one by Wright that's excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, all right. Titus, it was nice to see your truck. Yeah, it was nice, yes. to, nice to see you in the window, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I get it for sale because I need a minivan. Uh, uh, yes. so anybody, yeah. anybody that needs a, needs a vehicle, get in touch with Titus. Um, Anyone can, local. Yeah. He's not going to drive it to you. <laughs> if you come I, to I him... Just- yeah, I'm just owning the fact that we need a minivan, and I think it's so ironic that I'm 26 and we need a minivan that I'm just loving it, and I'm just going to yeah. buy, like, the dumpiest-looking um, van <laughs> and just, like, rock it. There yeah. you go. Hey, Titus, that's what I have been doing for quite a few years now. Exactly. Buy them right. cheap, run the wheels off of them. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something, that I have, um, something that I have taken to um, – to opening my prayers with, it's kind of my, my standard opening now as a, as, as a constant reminder of what we've talked about, um, is the, it's actually an opening, one of the openings in the, com, in the book of Common Prayer, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and blessed be his kingdom now and forever. And um, I, I like that, that continual reminder that this is about something more like, 
It's about something more than dying and going to heaven. It's mm-hmm. about something more than, right. than, than my individual status with God. It's about, it's about a kingdom. It's about something way bigger than yourself. It's a, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding what the kingdom is about makes such a huge difference in, in every aspect of, of, of the Christian life. And it will make you feel hope instead of fear and anxiety. And that yeah. matters a lot right now. So we're going to try it out. You'll like it. Okay. God bless you all. All right. Bless everybody. Good night. Bye now.